0: Love to welcome up my husband, Pastor Timothy George, to bring the word this morning. It'll be great, Don. Thanks, Don. How good was Joel's sermon last week on financial freedom? Oh man, that was good. I'll tell you this: we are a generous church here. Yes, we're run by volunteers, but we are—we punch well above our weight. We are a very generous church. I just want to build your faith and excitement that last week. Uh, the tithe in this place was the largest tithe from uh, the outside of our annual stewardship tithe that we've seen in our time pastoring here. It was actually, I think it was almost one-sixth of our Imagine Day tithe from a single standard Sunday service. So, you know, at the end of the day, you can't measure financial freedom by the sum, but I feel like the tithe can definitely build momentum in a place. And it can definitely uh, it can definitely go a long way when it comes to serving our community as well. That's awesome. I'm going to begin today by asking you a couple of questions. I'm going to get this too. I feel like there's something special that's going to happen here today. So I hope you feel that way with me. Uh, my first question for you is, who's ready for a miracle? That's good. That's good. All right, second question is, who's ready to be changed? <laughs> My wife winced at that one. <laughs> I'm, I'm still, i got to tell you, I'm still very encouraged to, sit, to hear that response. That's so good. Yes, today we're going to come in hot on the sermon, all right? So I'm not going to do as much warming up. You know, it's going to go straight to the fire. I want to tell you about a dream um, that I had. I was preaching in an academic context, I think at a university, and it was to a room full of people with disabilities, but they weren't particularly impressed with me or the things I had to say. In fact, as I was speaking, they were very rude. Uh, they got up and they just started walking off. Not just one of them, the entire place just started exodusing the room um, as I was preaching to them. And, you know, firstly, ouch, that hurts you a little bit, hurts your pride, uh, but... I did have a lot of peace in that dream in that moment. I thought, that's okay. It's okay. And more than peace, I had this stirring from the Holy Spirit. Uh, I was prompted to chase after one of the people who was retreating away, fleeing from the gospel. Uh, And I I knew who to chase. And I knew that the person that I was to chase was an influencer, had weight in that community of people. And I knew that the the question I had to ask as well, uh, when I went up to that young man, I I commissioned that young man and I I made a promise and I said, if God is to heal you from your disability, will you help me in this ministry that I'm doing? And I was so excited (laughs) with where that dream had got to. And then I woke up. I was like, come on, God, making me making me step out. Holy Spirit's even getting me in my dreams. Come on, people. And then I woke up, but I woke up, I woke up with the full knowledge that uh, that man would have been healed. I had not a doubt in my mind that that man would have been healed because it, it was required for the gospel. It was required that the goodness of God be made known. Oh, there's so much that I could tell you about that my word for for 2021, I feel like my word personally is certainty. I love that word. Oh, how good it feels to be certain of the power of God, on the calling of God, on the moving of God. Certainty. Oh, my goodness. I woke up with a certainty God did heal the young man. and And with these words of 1 Corinthians 4.20 impressed upon my heart, that the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. I've got to tell you, I found it really hard to write today's sermon because I kept trying to come up with something and this scripture was all I kept getting. I, uh, I kept trying to say, oh, what story do you want me to tell God? What idea, what concept, what practical application? And God just kept saying, no, 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 it's not about the talk. It's about the power. And personally, I think I was going to say this a bit later, but I'm going to say it now. Personally, I really struggle with that. Maybe I'm a little bit controlling. I don't know. I find it quite easy to uh, read the Bible and to find the principles in the Bible. I find that easy to tell the stories and to see God's, like, God even reveals to me his mysteries. But when it comes to the power, of God, something scares me. I've got to be honest, something scares me about that because it's so out of my control because I know that something wild might happen. (gasps) My experience with the Holy Spirit is that it's not, uh, to me, it often doesn't present as the meek and mild lamb. To me, often it's wild. And so I I can't even contextualize it in my mind but I know like that the heart of God is good and I know that the Holy Spirit is good. So I ask again, who's ready for a miracle? You ready? Who's ready to be changed? Yeah. And I'm going to keep going. Are we here for the talk or the power? The praise or the power? The community or the power? The coffee or the power? For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk. But of power. Now, if we do not collectively believe that scripture, we are imposters as a church, hypocrites, whitewashed tombs. Our faith is dead if we do not believe that. If we do not believe that scripture, we might as well walk away, because nothing we can say will make a difference today or any other day. It's the power. Paul himself. Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, he himself said, I did not come to you with eloquence. I did not come to you with human wisdom. And God knows he had it. He'd studied. He was the highest in their political structure, in their academic structure. He'd reached the zenith, the highest place. And yet he said, I didn't bother to come to you with wisdom, with my intelligence, because it would not achieve the gospel. There's only one way to achieve the gospel, and it's by the power, and it's Jesus Himself. It's Jesus Himself. He told children's stories, and then He reached out His hand and He performed miracles. I don't know if I'd come to church if I didn't believe that there was going to be a miracle. I don't think I'd bother. If we don't believe that scripture, we might as well walk away. We might as well love each other out the door with tears in our eyes. I imagine the disappointment of Jesus when he returned to his hometown in Matthew 13, only to find himself unable to do mighty works, unable to perform miracles, because he was doubted in his own hometown, And I ask myself conceptually, I ask myself, where is Jesus' hometown right now? Are we not, is this church not a home? Are we not being built up into a kingdom of heaven? Here on earth, I would like to think that the closest to home that Jesus can have is right here in the church. But I would also hate to think that if he came here, that he may not do the mighty works that we know that only he can do. We cannot let doubt get in the way of the gospel. I want us to agree together today not to let doubt rob this church of the faith and the miracles we're working so hard to build. It's two sides of a coin. This word doubt as well just kept hitting me, hitting me, hitting me, doubt. And I'm saying to God, I'm saying to God, Lord, is there doubt in our church? Why are you telling me this? Why is this word doubt coming up? But it's there's two sides to the coin. I believe that where heaven tries to work, that hell tries to rob that spot. I believe that, that Satan is against God. And that whatever God tries to do, Satan tries to get rid of it. So if you are experiencing doubt, there is hope in this place today. <laughs> if you are experiencing doubt, that is the forerunner to your miracle. <laughs> We're not going to let hell rob this place. We are not going to let the world take our hope. No way. It is a forerunner to the miracle. I don't, maybe you're sitting there and you're thinking, I have a doubt. I have a doubt that in a moment when the pastor tells me to get up and pray and expect Pentecost, expect that drop of the Holy Spirit, I have a doubt that nothing, nothing's going to happen for me. And I've got to tell you that there is a breakthrough that could come through that. You can break through that. I'm convinced that no amount of convincing, no amount of preaching, arguing is going to change you. Only God can change you. And so again, I say that the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power, of power. And we're going to start right now. See, the early church was birthed with a spontaneous explosion of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we like to forget that. (laughs) Today, we're not going to forget that. Today, we are going to remember it. And not only remember it, we are going to enact it. In a moment, we're going to stand up and we're going to pray together because this is a Pentecostal church. And we are believing for Pentecost, which means we are believing for a fresh wind of the Holy Spirit. A fresh fire of the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, we're just wasting our time. Now, this isn't going to be every week. This is going to be a special sermon. But this is actually the way uh, that it happened, is that uh, at Pentecost, before there was any preaching, before there was any explanation, before there was any structure in the church, the Holy Spirit dropped. And it was because of that power, and it's because of that miracle that something needed explaining it all. So let's stand to our feet. And i got to tell you, this might get awkward because we're going to be waiting on God and we're going to be raising our voices to God and we're going to be agreeing with one another. Now, you can I don't mind how you do that. You can do that um, amongst one another. You can do that privately. That's fine. There's going to be worship playing. The front is open. I don't mind uh, how you do it. I don't mind if you grab the person nearest to you that you know has a good prayer life and you say, I want to just agree with you because two or three have extra weight in the Spirit. Uh does that sound good? Does everybody understand what's going to happen here? <laughs> All right, good. I can't tell you how long this is going to go for, but we're just going to keep going. And look, I'm going to tell you this too. I'm going to tell you that uh, uh, Chris, who's leading us in worship this morning, he, he let me know that during worship, he sensed a block. He did sense a block. And I, I'm also believing that the Holy Spirit knew today was going to happen before it even happened. And so if you felt that block, or if even now, if you're feeling that block, block, the aim is that we're going to push through it in Jesus' name. Let's pray. provide an opportunity here for you to step out for your breakthrough, to step out in humility. If you are struggling right now, if you are struggling to feel the Spirit in this place, if you are struggling to connect with God, there is no judgment. This is not a church that will judge at all. We don't want to judge. We want to equip and empower. And i got to tell you, I believe, no, I know that Jesus loves to touch His people. He loves to touch faith. And you don't want to be isolated from Jesus. We want to be close to Him. Anyway, I'm not sure if anyone's open to this, but I love to provide an opportunity for humility and for breakthrough. If you are struggling in this moment, please come into the center because there is giftings in this place. We're going to reach forward and we are just going to pray with you. We're going to believe with you. I want everybody here to be feeling that touch of Jesus. You know who you are. These are not opportunities you want to miss. Come on, there's more people here. That's it. It's fine. <laughs> Jesus is waiting. It just takes that step. <laughs> oh my goodness. Who else? For, the, for everybody who's standing on the outside. I believe there's other people on the outside who are missing an opportunity here. But for everybody else, what we're going to do is we're just going to put our hands forward. We're going to reach our hands forward. And what we're going to do is we are just going to just bless these people. And we are just going to petition Jesus and the Holy Spirit to just fall on their lives. Let's do it. Thank you, church. Thank you. Grab your seats. Thanks, Chris. I think my sermon now is all over the shop. I've been preaching bits and bobs of it in the lead up to that. I just want to encourage the faith of those people that stepped out. Um, I'm going to be telling you later about a story with Elijah, and uh, and Elijah did a great miracle. And then uh, after that, there was a flood. There was a famine in the land. There was no rain because of the ungodliness. There was no rain. And after the great miracle, he said to the king of Israel at the time, Ahab, and he said to him, "I hear the sound of rain." not a cloud in the sky. I hear the sound of a great rain. And then he goes off to a high place and he tells his servant, seven times he tells his servant, go and check the sky, just check it. And on the seventh time, there was just a dot on the horizon. And then he said, we better run because the storm's coming. So I want to tell you, I want to tell you, if you stepped out in faith today, If there was just a dot on the horizon, there's a flood coming. (laughs) There is a flood coming. Don't be dismayed. Don't be dismayed. On on Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, there was a rebellion happening in Jerusalem. It was called the Way, and the people of the Way were being hunted down. As our leader before us, his name is Jesus And the the Christians of that time were being hunted by Pharisees, by Rome, and by the enemy and all the hordes of hell. And it was all us believers could do to gather together just to pray. And we, we prayed with the door locked. And in response to that mustard seed of faith, just believers getting together for that simple act of reaching out in faith to heaven, what happened from that mustard seed of faith is that a violent wind roared down from heaven. That's the words of the Bible, a violent wind. And it filled the room. And it says, tongues of fire came to rest on the heads of all those believers. I love this symbol of the violent wind. I feel like uh, the, 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 the world nowadays has tried to emasculate Jesus. That's what I feel like. I feel like we like the lamb, but we're a bit scared of the lion. And when I imagine, you know, the violent wind and I, I'm trying to present uh, how amazing the Holy Spirit is to you. But there is an element of, of scariness to it, of something that's so beyond our control uh, that this violent wind could come to rest inside us, could come to be a part of our life. That's the Holy Spirit. And, and in prayer meeting, uh, in prayer meeting at, at one time, I had this image of a hurricane when I was thinking of the Holy Spirit. And that for all of what is perceived chaos on the outside, chaos and destruction, and yet what happens on the inside of a hurricane, in the eye of the storm? It's peace. All of Israel was scared to climb Mount Sinai when God descended upon the mountain in a fiery cloud. And they were scared to climb it. And yet what happened when, God, when Moses did climb in, into that place? what did he find? He wasn't burnt with anything but, you know, passion. (laughs) He came down with his face glowing, so something had happened. Uh, No, no, no. See, this is what happens. The world sees the church, sees God, sees the Holy Spirit as chaos and destruction, but in the heart of it, it is good. In the heart of it, we have a Prince of Peace. We have Jesus Himself in the heart of it. That's why it's so important to try and see the heart as God tries to see your heart. So a violent wind roared down. It filled the room. Tongues of fire came to rest on all of them. And likewise, no sooner had this happened, than all their fear was just gone. All of their doubt was just gone. The door was flung open. They didn't care for being hunted. They went to the streets and they preached. They went to the streets and they displayed miracles. That's Pentecost. That's, this is the birth of the church. And so again, I say that the church is not Sundays. The church is power. The church is not programs. The church is power. And sure, those things are helpful and those things help facilitate opportunities for the display of power. But at the end of the day, Jesus's core marketing strategy was he did, the, he did displays of power. He wants to touch people. He wants to heal people. And the hardest part is that when they came for the healing and they heard the teaching, that was the part where they were struck to the core. That was, it, was, it was the power of Jesus, the love of Jesus, the intervention of heaven that motivated them to be like, you know what, I want to be a part of this. And it was because of that intervention, it was because of that miracle that they could survive when Jesus said the hard word and Jesus said to them, you know what, you actually need to change now. It wasn't just an outward thing. It wasn't just, I took your leprosy away. It wasn't just that I healed your legs so you could walk, but I would like you to walk in the spirit. I would like you to do what I created you to do. A Christian is not vain. A Christian is not shallow. A Christian has that depth to them, that inward life. And it's full of the Holy Spirit, if you will let it be. Now, I spent my younger years, like many, in rebellion against, uh, against the church often. I was raised in the church, but I was rebellious, as young people often are. I, my, I would preach kind of Christianese things like that I was non-denominational. I thought that was really trendy back then. And I I just generally, besides just being non-denominational, I refused to come under any vision really. No leaders, no pastors, no movements, no vision. So I was was blind. (laughs) That's what happens when you don't come under any vision. Spiritually, you become blind. God loves to establish order. God loves to call people into different roles. And in that process, we rehearse our relationship with God. In our fellowship, iron sharpens iron. We are rehearsing our relationship with God. But I am now healed of that blindness. Praise God. So City Church here, it is a Pentecostal church. Pentecost, we just talked about what happened there. Now... The haters will tell you that Pentecostalism means shallow teaching, lack of order, and hype. (laughs) Good preaching, good preaching. (laughs) On the last account, I hope that they are most certainly right. I am happy to be a hype church. I am not going to apologize for being excited for my love of Jesus. I am not going to apologize for chasing the blessing, for chasing the miracle, no way. I am happy to be the hype church. <clears throat> I would hope that the, as a church we can humbly echo David's heart in 2 Samuel 6:22. I am willing to look even more foolish than this for God, even to be humiliated in my own eyes. There's a challenge. When was the last time for the gospel you allowed yourself to be humiliated in your own eyes. I find that super challenging. I'm going to read it again. I am willing to look even more foolish than this for God, all trying to be so smart all trying to have the talk instead of the power. I am willing to look even more foolish than this for God, even to be humiliated in my own eyes. When I talk about Pentecostal, I mean believing what happened on Pentecost can happen right here, right now. That's why we did what we did at the start of the service. I live every day expectant, hand in hand with the Holy Spirit. It means believing God is present in our everyday lives. He cares. It means believing that the Bible's a living word and that God is just as present in your testimony as he is in the words of the Bible. Do you know what? I, even I felt a pang of religion when I wrote that in today's sermon. I was like, hold up, is that right? I was like, hold on, my testimony's the same God as what's written in the Bible. Well, you'd want to hope so because otherwise it's not a living word, it's a dead word. In your life, I don't know if you can see it or not, but God is doing something. God is present. You know, your life, your testimony is also the Word of God. In Jeremiah, he made it obvious. He placed a coal in the prophet's mouth so that the prophet was compelled to speak the Word of God. <laughs> That's what we're doing right now. We're talking about the Word of God. We are placing it in our heart. It is evident in our testimony. We are a part of this thing. We are not a spectator. We are a collaborator with the kingdom of heaven. We are a part of this thing. Each and every one of you is a seed that is going to grow something in this church and in your life and in all of creation. You have been planted. (laughs) And a silent Pentecostal church, this is my last definition of Pentecostalism, I think that a silent Pentecostal church is an oxymoron. And can I get an amen? Amen. There we go. Come on. (sighs) That's good. All right. Mark 3, 4 to 5. Which is lawful, this is Jesus talking, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or evil? To save a life or kill? Ask the same. I'm asking you the same. Which is lawful today? Which today in church today, which one of those things is lawful? It seems so obvious. But they remained silent. And so Jesus looked at them in anger. And he was deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. Faith will loose your tongue. Faith and the Word of God, when you put it inside you, it will not stay inside you because God says that every word that he speaks comes back to him and bears fruit. It's like a boomerang. He'll put it in you, but it's, it's going to spring out. It's like a, he also says the believer is like a spring of water springing up into heaven. So he has put the Word in you, but it is going to spring out. Now, faith will loose your tongue. It will have you testify. It will have you speak. But doubt will bind your tongue. So when we come here on a Sunday and there isn't a big response and people aren't calling out, then we have to, at some point, we have to look inwardly and say, you know what? There's probably doubt in the room. There's a spirit of doubt in the room because our tongue is bound. We are hearing the truth spoken Jesus is present amongst us, he promises that. And yet there is no excitement, and yet there is no joy, and yet there is no words springing forth. That's doubt, I've gotta tell you it's doubt. Jesus said, even the, even the rocks are gonna cry out when he's round, when he's speaking. Are we are gonna be out sung by the rocks? Are we so dead? Even the rock, even the rock burst forward, burst forth with water in the desert because God told it to. I don't care how hard-hearted you are. This is the gospel that you are going to burst forth. The, The effort that God has made in your life, that it is not a failed investment. You are not a failure. God does not invest in failures. The water will burst forward, burst forth. Your miracle will happen. If you've got doubt when I say that, I don't know, I don't know if you're gonna make it. I'm sorry, like I, I want to believe in you here, but you cannot have doubt at that point. This is the gospel, this is our hope, this is our salvation, this is Jesus, this is what he came for. When I say that, we can have no doubt, we need certainty. See Looking at Mark 3, 4 to 5, it's not enough to know the right answer. They all knew the correct answer to that question. It's not enough to hold Jesus' light and his investment inside us to cover it, to snuff it out, to suffocate it. It's not enough. See, I love the story of um, John, whose mother met Mary and who leapt in the womb just to be around Jesus before he was even born, (laughs) He was just forming and he leapt because he was around Jesus. I love the story of Jeremiah, that fire in his heart to speak the word of God. After Jesus' resurrection, often in the stories, he would shroud his face in mystery as a kind of test to the believer to see if they could recognize him. Do you, have you read these things? He would shroud himself in mystery to see if we would recognize him, and 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 that's 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 a challenge to us because would we recognize Jesus here with us, you know? And so for the believer that gets it right, uh, there were there were a few believers. They were on the road to Amos, Amos meaning hot, uh, which is interesting. And uh, and as he was with them, and they're talking about different things, and and. They realized it was Jesus. That's long story short. They realized it was Jesus, not because of how he looked, but because their hearts burnt within them. And again, I tell you, the the Christian is deep. We cannot settle for what we think things are going to look like. The Jesus we think we know, that's dangerous. We can't lean on that. What we can lean on is the Holy Spirit's revelation inside us. When our hearts burn, because that's the thing that only Jesus can do to a man. Jesus can set our hearts on fire. Yes, please. Now, I get upset when someone speaks out in faith and I sense doubt in the room. I get upset when the church is silent. We can't let our joy be stolen. No, In Genesis 18, an elderly Sarai thought she was hiding when she silently scoffed at God's promise, an impossible promise for her to bear a child at a very old age. And then for fear's sake, she even tried to deny it to God. Hide and deny. That's all the way back to Genesis. That's probably you and us. Hide, deny, hide, deny. God sees our sin he sees our doubt, and He sees all the good things too. He just sees us. He sees us. <laughs> I love, it's so funny, this story, because He says to her, no, but you did laugh, and that's the conversation over. You know, there's, all, there's been time for each and all of us where we've laughed at the thought that God might intervene on our circumstances, when, we're, when we feel hopeless. Has everyone here felt before in their life hopeless? And in that moment, to hear the gospel, to hear these things I'm saying, it's like that's that's rose-colored glasses. That's a fairy tale story. Too good to be true. And we scoff. It's, God sees it. God sees that. I feel like what happened in the Garden of Eden, what happened with original sin and what happens with each and every one of us is that we start assuming that God's not present with us. You know, they assumed when the snake was talking to them that God wasn't standing right there. And as I was, I actually had a whole section on this in the preach and I took it out, but I think it's relevant for today. Because Jesus later says, he promises us that when two or three gather in his name, he'll be here with us. But what what the reason why I took it out, but that I'm saying it today coincidentally, is because... I feel like what is key in that sentence is in his name. And I feel like where we lose sight of God is where we stop gathering in his name, where we lose sight of who God is, where we lose sight that Jesus wants to touch us, wants to give us the miracle. When we lose sight of those things, when we say that was for then, that's not for me, that's not for now, control, control, control. Are we not gathered in Jesus's name? Will not miracles happen? That's an assumption. That's a given. That's standard practice in this church. The enemy would have us accept that doubt is normal. So, again, I ask, is doubt in heaven? No. Are we citizens of earth or heaven in this place? Heaven. So doubt is not our normal, full stop. There you go. There's some simple logic for you. We were not created to be riddled with doubts, holes. I had this image when I was writing this section. I had this image of like a Swiss cheese Christian (laughs) trying to walk the walk, but riddled with holes and these, you know, uh, this one's pretty intense, but, you know, I had this image of the demonic, like worms, just able to so easily pass through that person because there's holes in their story. They're saying one thing, but their life's Swiss cheese. We were created to bear the image of God in wholeness. Our faith was designed to have wholeness. Now, I have no doubt of this, that doubt is going to seek us out, that we, need we don't need to go looking for it. We don't need to entertain it. We definitely do not need to accept that it's part of our every day. Do you understand? I've, I've fallen into this trap. This is something really practical that you can just switch in your head right now. Because I used to think, oh, you know, if I, enter, if I think through that doubt, then I'll be ready to defend the gospel. The best defense that you can have of the gospel is not your talk. It is your what? Oh, that response was a bit slow. It's not your talk. It's your what? Power. Maybe we're going to leave this place no longer trying to win the arguments the old way we tried to win the arguments. I tell you what, when you get the healing, when you meet Jesus, when you get the revelation, when you feel the love, you don't need to think it through anymore. You don't need to try and explain Jesus to Jesus. No one can resist when they feel the truth of Jesus, when they feel the power of Jesus. No one can resist it. And that's why Jesus on the cross, in the last moments, that's why his prayer was forgive them for they know not what they do. They hadn't let him into their heart, to the depth of them. They don't know him. They don't know what they do. Let people feel the power. back to the story of Elijah. It was the drought, and Elijah had challenged all of the false prophets, 800 false prophets to a duel, and basically they both set up their altars, and he said to them, he said, whichever one of us, whoever, whichever one of us, our God, lights the altar on fire without us doing anything, that's the real God. And they liked the idea of us. There's 800 of us. There's one of him. Come on, we got this. And so there they were from morning until midday, past midday, and they're like, they're like praying desperately. It says they're dancing, they're like foaming at the mouth, like trying to get this thing to happen. <laughs> and Elijah, it says he sat back. <laughs> and he starts taunting them. See, this is the Christianity they don't preach, right? <laughs> he starts laying into him, he starts saying, What's the matter with your God? Doesn't he have ears? Does he not love you? Is he sleeping? Call louder, call louder. And not only do they actually listen to him and get more frantic, they start cutting themselves because they thought that that's what their God would need. That's the kind of God that they thought suitable to serve, one that would require them to hurt themselves, to cut themselves in order to get this miracle. That's the kind of gods the world wants to sell you. Ones that want you to hurt yourself, to hurt who you are, to lose sight of the big picture, to waste your time on dead things. And so, anyway, it's Elijah's turn. Now, remember, this is during a famine. And he says to them get the four biggest jugs you can find fill them with water. (laughs) Probably easier to find the jugs in the water. (laughs) Fill them with water and pour it over the altar. And they do it. And then he says again, and they do it again. And then he says one more time, 12 enormous jugs of water. It says that before he'd even done these things, it said that he had dug a trench around the altar because he knew that it would be so full, soaked to the core. And then he prayed this most beautiful prayer that I hope is on each of our hearts for the lost. And he says, he just said, God... reveal yourself to these people so that you so that they can know and the world can know that you are turning their hearts back to you and boom that's the spark that's the spark <laughs> 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 and it illiter- and that's when, he, that's when he says, out of faith, he says, I hear the rains are coming. Imagine being that onlooker that's thirsty, that can't afford water during a famine. What a waste. How precious, how valuable is that water? How full must our faith be to put our resources, to put our lives on the line? The world's doubt, like jugs of water, can become our fuel. (laughs) It won't stop the fire burning, amen? (laughs) So your responsibility is not to entertain or accept your doubts, but rather to overcome them through faith, which will quickly turn to your testimony, and your testimony to your treasure, your treasure to your heart, your heart to your words, your words to the transformative power of the gospel. (laughs) That's the journey. That's the journey. Now, Matthew 8, this is just to nail it home. Matthew 8, a leper approaches Jesus and he says, if you are willing, this would be like someone with COVID, unmasked, walking into the room right now. You know, I can just imagine it, like Moses parts the Red Sea, you know, straight down. And he says, Jesus, if you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean. Everybody had trouble. All the, cr- all the pe- uh, people had trouble approaching Jesus through the crowds, Right? <laughs> I don't reckon the leper had trouble. That was the one plus side to being a leper. You know, you just kind of hold your finger as you walk, just wave it around, carpet rolls out. And Jesus responds. He responds by reaching out his hand, like we responded before. He reached out his hand and he said three words, three words that will forever cast out your doubt if you can just hear them properly today. Jesus said, I am willing. And I want to tell you that the things that are in the Bible, it's not just for then, it's for now. That God is the same yesterday, today, tomorrow, forever, Jesus. Amen. That the Jesus that was willing then, has his heart for us stopped? Is he close to us or is he closed for business? Jesus is open for business and he is willing. So us lepers, us lepers, with our fall apart thinking need no longer doubt. We need no longer passively pray, if it be your will, like this leper, if it be your will. Jesus is willing. It's not a question of if, but of when. And in the, in the meanwhile, let's just keep asking. Matthew 28, 18 to 19, let me build your faith with the word of God. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. I feel like that should be said every week in church. Matthew 10, 7 to 8, and as you go, proclaim this message that the kingdom of heaven has come near. Isn't that an interesting sentiment? You're going forth, but the kingdom of heaven is coming near. It's almost as though the kingdom of heaven goes with you almost as though there's an army waiting to back you. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, so freely give. What is in you is free. What is in you is that big. Give it. I'll get you to stand your feet. Now today's message was called oust and doused. Oust is to expose our doubt, and doused is to pour oil on the fire. And I had this line in my head as well. What point is there to life without miracles? And I think that makes me really sad to think of that. See, I don't want good enough. I don't want settle for less. I don't want hush, hush. Miracles only happen in third world countries. The Australian church sometimes says such things. Go on a mission, you'll see a miracle, woo. What about a mission right here? I want a miracle here. I want life to its fullest. And when I say life, what I mean is God. I want God to his fullest, all the blessing, all the fruit, all the gifts, a new name, a double portion, I want it all. Do you know what, when it comes to God, I gotta tell you this, you can't be greedy when it comes to God. You can divide infinity, infinitely, and God will still keep pouring it out. Be greedy for God. There you go. <laughs> You'll remember that, I hope. <laughs> I'm greedy for God. Matthew 11, 12, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and the forceful lay hold of it. You're not going to get it sitting back. You're not going to get it just waiting. You're not going to get it being passive. The forceful lay hold to the kingdom of heaven. The forceful. Be greedy for God. I believed God when He told me He's all powerful, omnipresent, infinite, generous, loving Father. I believed Him. I'm here because I believed Him. His oil never stops pouring. That's His Holy Spirit, never stops pouring. I'm going to open up the prayer line again in case you missed your opportunity before. His oil never stops pouring. He can do a work. Don't miss your chance. Let me ask you this just before I finish up. If Jesus were here today in the flesh, would you have any doubt of a miracle? The flesh is such a distraction. Matthew 18, 20. For where two or three gather, there I am with them. Jesus is here. Jesus is here. Now you're you're a bit flat for the fact that your king is here. Jesus is here. Give him a round of applause. Jesus is here. And let me prophesy this to you that Australia is a land of bushfires, but with our face alight, we haven't seen anything yet. I believe that. I believe there's more for us. The fire of the Holy Spirit will sweep this land once more. This fire is contagious. This fire is healing, unquenchable, insatiable, all-consuming, never-ending. There is joy in this place. Receive it. Power in this place. Receive it. Healing in this place, receive it. Freedom from sin and demons, receive it. No more doubt. Now, whoever wants prayer, we're going to sing a praise song. And the front is open. I'm going to wear a face mask and gloves. So come up for prayer.